Section 12 of National Geographic Magazine, Volume 2, Numbers 3 to 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Reed All Day. Number 4. Geographic Nomenclature. Remarks by Marcus Baker. Mr. Baker. In preparation of a map, the last things to go on are the names. If the map covers a region of country long known or thickly settled, most of its features already have names. But comparison of several maps of or writings about a region almost invariably reveals confusion, contradictions, and errors in the names. The same feature often bears different names on different maps. The same name has various spellings, and the names on the map may in their turn not agree with local usage. Examples of this confusion abound everywhere and are a source of constant perplexity to the geographer. The names are often misapplied. The name of one cape or mountain peak through accident, carelessness, ignorance, or by intent is often found attached to some other cape or mountain peak. A small feature's name may be extended to cover much more than that to which it fittingly belongs, or a name rightly applicable to a large tract may be wrongly restricted to a small one. In the hands of the mapmaker, Geographic names may be regarded as labels, loosely attached and easily misplaced. Handled by many writers, both careful and careless, these labels become misplaced or lost, and in replacing these misplaced labels, or in restoring lost ones, much confusion and many errors arise. The newspaper writer writing hurriedly, the magazine writer without hurry, or the book writer working deliberately, each in turn finds that the investigation of questions relating to geographic names carries him away from his subject. If a question arises respecting a non-geographic term, the dictionary can be appealed to and, right or wrong, followed without discredit. But with many or most of the questions about geographic names, in the United States at least, we have no adequate dictionary or authority to appeal to. As a consequence, in most cases the writer takes indifferently what is nearest to mind or hand and thus produces new varieties in names, variants upon old ones, or quite new ones. Such names are called corrupt until usage and familiarity removes the stigma, and the corrupted name, having grown respectable, is adopted. A foreign name may be transliterated by one writer and translated by another. This course gives rise to two or more forms. The absence of uniform usage in transliterating causes diversity in one case, and in the other, as several translations are possible and mistakes probable, various forms arise. The progress of all science is intimately associated with questions of nomenclature. Modern progress in biologic science dates from the adoption of the binomial system, and it is not too much to expect that progress in geographic science will similarly be found to be intimately associated with the study of geographic names and the principles which should control in their adoption and use. The object aimed at in these notes is to draw attention to the importance of the subject and to arouse discussion, the purpose of the discussion being to ascertain if there be not certain guiding principles which may serve to aid in solving the numerous and perplexing questions relating to geographic nomenclature. What is a geographic name? Without attempting a categorical answer to this question, I would say that geographic names seem to me to bear a strong resemblance to the names used in biology. They are generic and specific. To designate any specific geographic feature, 
we usually use two words. One, a descriptive term, such as river, island, lake, pond, or mountain, and the other, a specific name, indicating what particular pond, lake, or mountain is designated. The term Mississippi River is a compound name, in which river may be regarded as part of a proper name. It is the name of a genus, whereas the term Mississippi is the specific designation. Of course, it will happen in geographic names, as in biologic, that certain features or objects become so well known that a single name, either the generic or the specific, will be used by itself to designate the object. We speak of Maine without prefixing the generic term state of, the specific name being sufficiently characteristic. On the other hand, here in Washington, references to the avenue, meaning Pennsylvania Avenue, are familiar to all. In this case, the generic term is used for particular specification. These exceptional usages, however, do not appear to me to invalidate the general principle that the designation of geographic features consists in general of a specific and of a generic name. The origin of generic terms has been much studied. The origin of specific names has been studied, but little and the present notes relate chiefly to this class. Specific names may be said to have two distinct origins. First, those of formal origin, where the name must be given pro forma and published in a book or map relating to the region by its discoverer or by the earliest explorers. This covers the case for a small body of names. Second, there is a very large body of names which appear to have arisen without such formal origin and to have, as it were, grown up by common consent in the usage of the people of the region. That which it seems profitable to discuss here and now is the principles which should be adopted and followed in the selection of the names which are to go upon the map, principles which will enable one to discriminate when usage is divided between that which should be adopted and that which should be rejected. To make this clear, a few instances of the peculiar questions which arise may be cited, and then some of the guiding principles stated which it might be possible to adopt and to follow. The river which flows along the western edge of New York City is locally known as the North River. Shall this be called the North River, or Hudson River, or Hudson's River? And if this geographic name is printed in the text of a book, will you print river with a capital letter or a small letter? It must be borne in mind that this question is asked not for the purpose of immediate or categorical answer, but for the purpose of eliciting thought and discussion upon the principles which should control the answer. In 1973, Vancouver entered and mapped Port Townsend, which he formerly named Port Townsend. At the present time, the city situated upon that harbour, as well as the harbour itself, is universally known as Port Townsend, the H in the original being omitted. This is a clear and specific case where the name formerly applied by the original explorer is now modified in his orthography by usage. What form of the name shall be adopted? The former or original name? or the present modified name, and if the original name is to be adopted, shall we proceed similarly in all cases and go back to the original form? In the case of names which have undergone transformations through ignorance or through usage, shall an attempt be made to restore the original orthography? Take the case in Missouri of the stream called Boy Brew, or Burnt Wood, and which has become in the usage of the residents in that part of the world Boy Ruley, 
and is so spelt in the local publications, and so pronounced in the local usage. When Champlain sailed along the heel of Cape Cod and discovered the extensive shoals which vexed the navigation in those waters, he put upon his chart the statement Mao Bar, and a number of later maps applied this name to the southernmost point of the heel of Cape Cod as Malabar, and so it stood for one hundred years or more as Malabar, and may even be found upon some current publications. In the Coast Survey publications, it is uniformly called Monomoy. Again, on the north shore of Martha's Vineyard is a place formerly known by the Indian word Kiphigon. On the modern maps, this place is called Cape Higon. Shall we in this case adopt the practice of the purists and restore the earlier form? In this same locality are four small harbors called by the sailors holes, namely Holmes Hole, Woods Hole, Robinson's Hole, and Quick's Hole. In current usage, except among seamen, Holmes Hole has disappeared and been replaced by Vineyard Haven. Woods Hole has been converted into Woods Hole though still pronounced whole, while Robinson and Quick still remain holes. In this case, shall we attempt to be consistent, or in other words, to be uniform? In the vicinity of New Haven, there is a hill occupied many years ago by coast survey parties, and called in their records, Rabbit Rock. Surveying parties last year in searching for this station inquired diligently in the vicinity and failed to find any information respecting it for some time. The place, however, is well known to all the people for many miles around as Peter's Rock, and this name appears on the Country Atlas of New Haven, published in 1856. I suppose the name Rabbit Rock has found earlier publication on coast survey charts or in its reports, though I have not verified this supposition. But assuming that it has been so published, shall we now call that hill Rabbit Rock or Peter's Rock? Allegheny County New York is spelt A-L-L-E-G-A-N-Y. A post office in Sierra County, California is spelt A-L-L-E-G-H-A-N-Y. The city of Allegheny near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is spelt A-L-L-E-G-H-E-N-Y. Shall these names be allowed to stand unchanged or should an attempt be made to reduce them all to one form? In the last century, the place we now know as Sitka was known to the English as Norfolk Sound, to the French as Tishkan Bay, and to the Russians as New Archangel, the earliest of these names being Norfolk Sound. Is there any doubt in this case as to the advisability of retaining the name Sitka? The Great Sea between Northeastern Asia and Northwestern America, at one time known as the Sea of Kamchatka, and now known as Bering Sea, has been variously written B H E R I N G. S-E-A, B-E-H-R-I-N-G, S-E-A, B-E-E-R-I-N-G, S-E-A, B-E-R-I-N-G, S-E-A, as well as all these forms with the addition of the apostrophe S. I will not ask what is the correct name, as the question in this form seems to imply that there is a correct form and all other forms are erroneous. The question should rather be what form is it advisable to adopt with the view, let us hope, of securing its general adoption? And this leads up to the question of possessives, generally in specific geographic names. Many specific geographic names have the possessive form, while many others do not.
Is it advisable to attempt to secure uniformity of usage in this regard? I will frankly avow my own conviction, which has resulted from more or less consideration and study of the matter to be, that the use of the possessive form should be discouraged and abandoned as far as practicable. While it seems to me unwise to lay down a hard and fast rule, yet there are a very large number of cases in which the possessive form may be dropped to advantage and without, I think, arousing any general opposition to the practice. When the theory held that the king owned all and geographic features were named for the royal family or for the nobility, the possessive form was very frequently used, indicating possession or ownership, and this in cases where such possessive form has now disappeared from the maps. Why should not the possessive form be used to denote possession only? A pond, a hill, a swamp, lying on Smith's land, may be properly designated, as it often is, at Smith's Pond, Smith's Hill, etc. But nobody would think of saying Madison's Place or Washington's Monument. There appears to be a certain principle involved. Those particular features, which are of a public character, such as states, counties, towns, streets, parks, etc., which are named for individuals, are almost universally names without a possessive form, and this commends itself as a reasonable practice. Without, therefore, cutting off possessives from all names where usage has now affixed them with considerable firmness, there yet remains a considerable body of geographic names in which the possessive form remains, but which are not strongly entrenched in public usage. In such cases, it seems to me, we may advantageously drop the possessive form. Let us say Donner Lake, not Donner's Lake, Hudson Bay, not Hudson's Bay, James Bay, not James Bay, Baffin Bay, not Baffin's Bay, etc., etc. End of section 12.